From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us here on For What It's Worth for another hour of personal finance news that you're going to walk away with that you can put to use right away. We have a fantastic show ahead for you this family day weekend. We have a professional home economist on. She's going to give us some tips on things that we can do during our family day weekend that isn't going to break the bank. I am just as guilty as everyone else of making those short-term decisions that cost me a lot of money because I didn't think ahead that my kids would want to do this activity or go to this playground or go see this movie. But just by doing a little bit of planning, you can save a lot of money. You can take advantage of one-day sales. Maybe there's some bonus days happening where they're offering you two tickets for one. If you take advantage of that, then when the actual day rolls around, you save a lot of money because you're not spending as much as you would if you just paid for that event day of. I also have my friend and the author of a new book called No Regret Decisions, Shannon Lee Simmons. She is a wizard when it comes to helping people with their money. She's the founder of New School of Finance and really has written this book so that we can make better decisions about our money so that we don't look back and regret what we decided to do. So she's going to have some tools of how we can make better decisions when it comes to our mortgages, our investments, our savings, anything to do with money. So that is a conversation that you cannot miss because after you listen to that, you'll just be a little bit more mindful next time you have to make any kind of decision about your money and that you're making it so that you don't regret it years or even months from now. You look back and think, hmm, that's not something I should have done. I should have done things differently. I wanted to talk a little bit about housing. Uh, it's been obviously a roller coaster in the real estate market, and there is some new data out now from the Canadian Real Estate, the real estate Association that says that the beginning of 2023, hold on to your hats, was the worst start to the year since 2009. Now, if you are old enough to remember the beginning of 2009, that was the depths of the financial crisis, the worldwide financial crisis. So the time that we were just as bad as we are right now when it comes to housing sales and housing prices was at a time when the economy was tanking. So I think this is really important to pay attention to. Prices have fallen year over year, 18.3%. Uh, rather, prices have fallen. So the, the average price of a home this year at this time, last year at this time rather, was 750000 just about across Canada. And now it's fallen to $612,000. And that is going to really hurt individuals who did buy a home at the beginning of 2022 and have seen those prices come down. Home sales are also down. There's just less inventory out there, less people buying, and that also is having an impact on the market. The biggest impact, of course, is because of interest rates. It's more expensive to borrow money, so home buyers are less likely to bid as much on that home, and some people are just taking a backseat and saying, I'm going to wait to see if the bottom has happened before I get into the market. Because the last thing you want to do is buy a house and then the next month it's worth five, six, seven, maybe 10% less. That is not a good feeling. 
And that has been happening to Canadians who bought a house at the beginning of 2022, where as every interest rate hike announcement happened, you saw the same house on your street sell for less than what you paid for it. And that doesn't make you feel very good for the biggest investment of your life, right? Buying a home is probably the most expensive thing you're ever going to purchase. And you really want to protect that investment. Uh, this sort of parlays into the next thing that I wanted to talk about. There's a new report out from Statistics Canada that shows that more and more Canadians are worried about their finances. One in four say they can't afford an unexpected expense of just $500. So that is not a huge uh, unexpected expense. It could be uh, you have to repair something small in your home. You have to buy something new because it's broken, like a washer dryer. Even that may be more than $500. It's not hard as a homeowner, I know, to have a $500 expense creep up. And so this new report uh, called the Canadian Social Survey of Quality Life and Cost of Living really does hone in and highlight that more and more Canadians are worried about how they're going to pay their bills as interest rates continue to rise, cost of living continues to rise, and inflation remains persistently high. Almost 50% of Canadians that are aged 35 to 44 are the ones that are finding it most difficult to meet their financial needs. They are most, they, they, they are feeling the financial uh, pressures the most out of any other age group. The second to them is 45 to 54. So this is really the crunch years for many Canadians. You have young kids, you're paying off your mortgage, you may still have student debt. Some of us are still helping our parents out because they're retired and they need financial help. And on top of it, we're trying to save for things like our own retirement, our own long-term savings goals. And so it's crunch time. And then you've got kids going to university or college and other expenses that come up with young children, which is making it really expensive, uh, especially for that age group. So this survey really does highlight, I think, what many of us are feeling, that Canadians are feeling financially unstable and young adults in this country are feeling it the most. We have a fantastic show for you today here on For What It's Worth. Next, we're going to speak to somebody who is a home economist, and she's going to tell us about some easy, cheap ways that we can save money this family day weekend, still have fun with our kids, and not break the bank. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Huck. Well, it's family day weekend, and this is a holiday that's not celebrated across the country. Not every province has family day, but many of us do get that extra Monday off. And it's a new holiday. Families haven't really developed traditions yet around what family day means to them. Thanksgiving is obvious, right? You have a turkey. Christmas is obvious. You get together and exchange gifts. There's some obvious things that go on during the other holidays. Uh, but family day weekend really is what it's supposed to be, spending time with your family. And for many of us, that's a really expensive event, going somewhere to entertain our kids, going out for dinner. These things can really, really add up. But there are some budget-friendly ways that we can celebrate family day and also ways that we can plan family events in the future. We don't always have to spend a lot of money to have fun. Usually for me, we go to things like movie night and maybe having a nice dinner in, but we've got some better ideas with our next guest of things that we can do with our family that doesn't break the bank, but still 
brings us all together. Sue Spicer is a professional home economist, and she's working with PC Financial. She's partnered with them, and they did a survey that talks about how only 20% of Canadians actually set money aside for family activities. And Sue joins me now. Hi, Sue. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Ravina. It's great to be here. So what can we do if we want a better plan for family events? Because I am guilty of this too. Sometimes something is coming up in the next couple of days. I'm scrambling to get it all together and we end up spending more money than we wanted to. How can we plan better for family events so that we can have a great time and save some money? Absolutely. And I couldn't um, agree with you more. I too was surprised at uh, the PC financial survey results that indicated that only 20% of us actually budget and put into a, a framework what it is that we want to spend on family events. And yet when we think about it, we're always spending on family events in one way or another. And they're having an impact on, on our budgets. In fact, uh, one in every two Canadians, 50% of us, are concerned about how much we will spend on family activities in the next year and how that's going to impact the activities that we choose to be involved with. So when it comes to spending time with your family and loved ones, it's going to take a little bit more creativity maybe and some planning so that you can really make some um fun memories, and enjoy some events uh, without going over the budget or breaking the budget. Go outside the sort of, uh, like I said, movie night or things that sort of are a board games. Mm-hmm. I mean, something that really is unique that we, we may not have thought of. Well, first of all, exactly. Come up with a plan, whatever that might be for you. And another one is to get everyone involved in the activities so that you're not taking the burden financially and otherwise all upon yourself and setting a budget for what it is that you plan to do and trying to stick to it the best you can. Make a list of all the essential ingredients you'll need and set aside a, an idea of what each of those will be, a good one, to ensure that you have everything you need and don't go over the budget. And also, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to tell people to think out of the box a bit this year and do what you do, what you'd like to what you'd love to do. So maybe you're not on the Mexican vacation. So take a night, get the family together and build a menu for a Mexican fiesta feast for the family and friends. Well, maybe you didn't get to Jamaica or the ski lodge and do a big fondue dinner instead at home, inviting everybody and set the scene, pull out a few decorations, go all out. Another fun thing that people love to do is order in. Well, that's becoming a bit of a, uh, an expense that might not be in order. But why not try cooking some of those fun and favorite cuisines, Thai, Italian, Indian, pull out the old takeout menu, choose your favorites, and I bet there's some recipes on the computer that'll help you create a really great feast. And you can pick up all of those um, ingredients pretty much everywhere. And mm-hmm. another one that I, I really think is fun is getting together and doing a big baking. 
Uh, day. And, and these uh, are things that we do with our family, you know, during so many different events. And it really is about planning ahead, making sure you're grabbing all those sales. So if your plan is to make cookies this weekend, you're watching the sales a couple weeks prior to make sure you're getting the best deal on chocolate chips and maybe some decorations you're going to put on the cookies. Um, yeah. Why is it you mentioned that stat there that only one in five of us actually budget for family for family events? Why do you think that is? And and why should we make saving for family events a priority? Well, saving is always a bit of a challenge and it, 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 it doesn't have to be, but it's especially um, challenging when the goal is trying to make everything great and have everything that someone will enjoy. And a really good way to get everybody involved is to get everyone involved and um, keeping that specific goal in mind. One of my secret ingredients for having and creating fun events together is using my PC Optimum points. Every purchase made with a PC MasterCard earns PC Optimum points, which then can be used for essentials like groceries or the special ingredients to help you stay on budget for mm-hmm. making such little events like this. And those are some of the tools that you're saying that we can really stretch our family activity by using our loyalty points to get stuff uh, for free, right? So because they're already we've already banked those points, we can use them to buy stuff uh, that that at the grocery store or wherever it is that we need uh, to use for our family activity. Are there mistakes that families make when they're planning family activities and they just end up spending too much? I use that example of sometimes I'm scrambling to get everything together at the last minute, so I end up paying full price or not getting the exact product I wanted. What are some of the mistakes that that families make that maybe they could be more mindful of so they could save money for the next big family event? Well, interestingly enough, um, the PC financial survey on families and how they plan on spending this uh, occasion revealed that only 20% of Canadians actually set aside a, a, a budget. And that means the majority do not. And that's one of the key points is that having a budget helps you to be prepared and allows you to make smarter choices and have fewer regrets. So whether you're having everyone over for the big dinner or planning uh, a fun activity that you get make that you get everyone together with, make a list of the essentials that you're going to need and then look at okay, what do I have that I can contribute to this, and it may well be. PC Optimum points that can help you reduce the costs and remain on budget. And it's a fun other way of thinking of a savings account. Yeah, I mean, these are people are really savvy when it comes to to uh, to uh, gaining loyalty points. Whatever program they're they're working with, you know, going on days where they get extra points, buying products where they get extra points. Um, but really, the most important thing to remember is uh, if you're buying on a credit card, you got to pay it off. Otherwise, it's not worth it at all. And the second thing is is that you want to use them on things you actually need. And I feel like family day and buying things for your family day activities is is a good spend. Uh, of 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 the of those loyalty points because uh, you're actually going to use them and it's going to save you a bit of money. Any last thoughts, Sue, on how we can you know get some really easy and cheap ways to spend time with our family? If maybe you know maybe even something that's totally free uh, that we didn't think about that we can really 
uh, have an enjoyable family day without spending even a dime? Going outdoors. There's so many wonderful recreational facilities that and it may well have uh, free um, admission on family days. And, and it's very worthwhile getting on to whatever your city or, or town site is and finding out what those are. I love going out for a skate. Um, there are arenas that are, are, are available all over the city in parks. Having a skate, taking a mug of hot chocolate and some big cookies afterwards, making a snowman, going on a winter hike. All, all of those things are not expensive. Maybe, you know, we're gonna to have to spend a little bit on gas, getting somewhere, et cetera, but well within reason for families to go out and enjoy without having to think about expenses and the budget. Sue, so thank you so much for joining us today and giving us these great tips on how we can have uh, uh, an economical family day weekend. And these are things that we can use all year long. It's not just about family day weekend. It's just about being really mindful of the kind of uh, ways that we save for our family events. And then uh, when we actually get to them, how we spend our money to make sure it goes the furthest. And I think it's important that Canadians and families, we all think about spending time and our resources, whatever they may be, towards these special occasions. Thank you so much. That PC survey found a couple of little uh, other factoids that I thought were really important. Uh, British Columbians are least likely to budget for family activities out of all the people they surveyed throughout the, the country. Um, and Albertans are the most concerned about family activities and how much they're spending on those family activities. But I think we can all agree the cost of living is going up. Everything is costing more. We're trying to stretch our dollar in every way we can. And family activities sometimes go by the wayside. Vacations, dinners out with our kids or our, our significant other. That seems like an extra when everything else is getting more expensive. But here's some things that my family does. I love Groupon. I love it. I go into Groupon, I put in my area, and it spits out a bunch of stuff that's going on that's pretty budget-friendly. Often I'll gather them throughout the year and then use them whenever I need to. For example, we're going to the movies this weekend. It's something that I bought in you know quite a while ago that's just been banked in there that I can use it. It's going to save me some money. Hiking is such an excellent way to get outside, get some activity, and really get some you know family fun going. And for, for younger kids, hiking can be a little bit boring. So make it a scavenger hunt. You can print something off the internet. Just do spring scavenger hunt and a bunch of stuff will come up. You print that out. And so while you're hiking and getting some exercise and getting that fresh air, your kids are looking for things uh, that they can find likely during this time. So those are just some of the things that my family... And uh, we do. Uh, I think that they're pretty common amongst Canadian families. Uh, it's not something. It's not something. Uh, you know, I'm not coming up with a brand new way to spend time with with your family. But I think it's important uh, that we do budget for family fun because sometimes we forget how important that is. And the return on investment, those memories are they are priceless. You're going to remember them for forever, and so will your children. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're talking to the author of a book that's going to help us make no-regret decisions. That means every time you make a decision about money, you're not going to look back six months from now and say, why did I do that? I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk.
Have you ever made a decision with your money that you looked back and thought to yourself, that wasn't really the best decision? I could have done something differently, something wiser, maybe gone in a different direction. We all have done that. We've all made money decisions that we regret. My guest, Shannon Lee Simmons, is a certified financial planner, chartered investment manager, media personality, personal finance expert, and the founder of the New School of Finance. And she has a new book out called No Regret Decisions. That's going to help us make better decisions when it comes to our money so we don't have that feeling of regret when we look back. And she joins me now. Shannon, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. My first question for you, what compelled you to write a book during the mm -hmm. pandemic when everybody felt like everything was out of control, no one could focus on anything? You found time to actually sit down and write a book. <laughs> a contract compelled me, Rabina. <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, I, I came up with the concept for this book well before the pandemic, which is just so funny now thinking about how appropriate it is, you know, no regret decisions, making difficult choices and difficult times. And so I feel like, you know, I came up with this in 2019. I had pitched it. We signed the book deal the day the schools closed. And I remember talking with HarperCollins on the phone on the 13th, like March 2020 being like, I'll see you in two weeks when the schools open up again. Like that was the thing that I said. And so, no, I, I, I was not, it wasn't born out of this need to fulfill a dream. It was something that I had already pitched and signed a contract for. And I tried to quit like four times and um, HarperCollins was amazing. They were so understanding. They were like, take as much time as you need. And I was like, but I want to quit. And they're like, but take as much time as you need. And they were so kind. And, uh, and so I felt like Chandler, you know, when he wants to quit the gym and he like, he like, he can't. And, um, and finally I, you know, through a series of my own no regret decisions, I, I finished and it was, it took so much. It took so much. It was the hard, I think writing this book is like, a. I have such a love for this book because of the hard times that I was having personally while I was working through writing it. And um, I'm so proud that it even just got birthed into the world. So yeah, that's that it's not a story of like, I'm motivated, let's find time. It was like, Oh my God, how am I going to do this? Lots of tears, lots of crying. <laughs> and that's how so many of us felt during the beginning of the pandemic where, you know, doing even day-to-day -day tasks felt yeah. overwhelming because we were just, we were dealing with this worldwide crisis. We're worried about our health. We're worried about how we're going to make money and finding time. I know that you're saying that, you know, it, contractually you had to, you still did it. You still made it happen despite I the did. fact that all those things were happening. <laughs> So you work with clients all the time. You're the founder of the new school of finance. Um, you work with people all the time, helping them make better money decisions. Um, uh, how often do you find that we have money regrets? Uh, mm. Is it the little stuff or the big stuff that we tend to really have the regrets over? That's such a great question. Um, and this book is totally geared towards the big stuff because I find the little stuff it's pangs of like, oh, I shouldn't have done that or something. Um, but typically where you really get into deep financial regret, the kind that keeps you up at three in the morning, that's the regret I'm talking about here. Not like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, not that. I'm talking about you made a decision, your life doesn't look the way that you want it to now and you blame yourself like I messed up, like I did that, it's my fault. I have the, this deep regret and why I'm why I geared this book 
why I wanted to write this book before the pandemic even is I started to notice uh, with my clients that people who have deep regret about major decisions. So things like, you know, retiring and then, you know, uh, they can't or, or like they they retired early and then it didn't work out or like they started a business that didn't work out. There was, um, you know, a divorce that cost them everything. And they, you know, there's deep regret on how they handled that or like um, going back to school and then can't turn it into a job. Like these big high financial stakes decisions that people make. I started to notice that when people make those big high stakes decisions and things don't work out, there are two types of people. There are people who look back and say, huh, well, that didn't work out. And I don't, you know, but I don't regret the decision. It wasn't a bad decision. It was just a bad outcome, which is completely different than people who look back at that decision and say, that's my fault. I screwed my life up. I am the worst. I, I like can't be trusted. And the reason that it, the difference is so important is because I found that people who blame themselves for past financial de- uh, regrets when the stakes were high, they don't have confidence going forward because like life inevitably is going to throw us some curveballs. That's always going to happen. That's going to happen. And so if you think that you're not capable of handling high financial and high emotional stakes decisions, which happen all the time, and that you don't, you don't trust yourself to make good decisions, then you kind of have a really heightened anxiety and worry about like bad things happening to you and avoiding bad things. And there's a, there's a, there's a lack of confidence going forward. And so that's, this book is like a love letter and like a playbook for anyone who's like got those big decisions made to make where there's high emotional stakes and high financial stakes with a ton of uncertainty. Cause we need to feel good about how we make those choices going forward. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now who are really regretting their decision to take a variable rate mortgage a year ago (laughs) and thinking, you know, I've seen my um, uh, mortgage payments go up. Uh, we, you know, myself, someone who talks about money all the time had baked in some of that insurance to make sure I could afford the mortgage if it went up X amount. But I know a lot of people have not done that. You know, that's one money regret I'm sure many Canadians are having. But what are other some common money regrets that you are coming across? Or is that a big one that, you know, I really regret taking this variable rate mortgage a year ago? That's right. Well, that's the, that's the regret du jour for sure. Um, but I, I, you know, along over the years, I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years and I've seen people's lives play out and the big ones. And these are the things that I tackle in the book too, uh, are like, basically it's not even the regrets. It's, it's mostly the, it's not even about whether it's about a variable mortgage or whether it's about, um, you know, buying a house that you can't afford or like going back to school. Some of those, those big decisions that maybe didn't work out because nobody has regret when everything works out. Right. Mm-hmm. If you, if you go and someone you're at a party and someone's like, oh, you should invest in this, this, you know, thing. And you take all your money that night and put it into that stock and it works out and makes you a million dollars. You'll be like, I just knew, I, you know, I just, I got lucky. That was a good decision that I made. If you lose everything, then you're like going to regret it. Right. But not if it works out. So what I've really noticed is it's not even about what the nature of the regret is. It typically happens when people look back and they think, that was a panic-based decision or an impulsive decision. So whenever something doesn't work out, it's really easy to look back. You know, you follow the thread in your life. Let's take the variable mortgages, for example. And now someone who can't, you know, their their monthly cash flow is being cut back and cut back and cut back and cut back. 
And then they follow the thread. It's easy to look back and say, oh my gosh, I regret that I ever did that. I shouldn't have done that. What was I thinking? I'm not like, I'm so bad with money. I can't believe it. I should have listened to this person. I should have done this differently. Instead of saying like, oh man, that was a good decision, bad outcome. And just moving forward. Like, you know what I mean? And so there, that's the difference. And typically I find people who really ruminate in that space of like, this is my fault is when whatever that decision was that, that caused this outcome, that's like less than ideal was if that decision was made in some sort of impulsive or panic-based like reactionary way. So again, thinking about the housing um, situation that we've had, people buy houses they can't afford. The bidding war situation is really one of those things that people deeply regret because maybe they went into it being like, our top line is like $850,000 and then it got bid up and bid up and up and they ended up you know, in over a million bucks because they were reacting. It was like an emotional, it was an impulsive thing to do in the moment. And if that worked out, then fine. They'll be like, that was crazy. What a wild time. But if it doesn't, if they have the variable mortgage and now they can't breathe, the blame that they're going to give themselves because they made that like irrational choice or that emotional decision at the time, that's when it really matters. So I really feel like not making panicked or impulsive reactionary decisions is the key to like making sure that you don't regret the big decisions you're making right now going forward. I'm always amazed by how many people call themselves experts because they made a lucky decision. You know, they yes. just just by luck, they decided. And then I everyone know. sort of applauds them. I'm like, it's just luck that got them there. I, mean, I know. They happened to buy a house at the right time or get into yep. the market at the right time. And this could be, this could have gone the other way too. And we would have all called them, you know, completely uh, not experts, whatever the opposite of an expert is, um, yep. if, if it happened that way. And, and I like what you said that it's, you know, it's a, it was a good decision with a bad outcome. And if we see Correct. life that way, then we learn from our mistakes and learn how to next time we have a big money decision to make the things that we should be thinking about. It sounds like, you know, you're not asking us to stop making big money decisions that maybe we regret, but maybe to learn from them. Is that is that the right way that we should approach? Because we're going to continue to make mistakes. It's yes. more about how we manage them when things don't go the way we wanted to. I think there's two, I think, yes, that's true. I think there's two parts. There's the, the uh, decisions you've already made. And so how do you embrace, how do you embrace those decisions and get on side with like what happened and make peace with it? Right. So if it didn't work out, like making peace with the past. And then there's also the book is really geared towards looking forward with confidence because like you said, like inevitably life is going to throw us curveballs. Someone's going to become a caregiver out of nowhere or their kids are going to move back home unexpectedly and now that's more expensive or they're going to get packaged out. Um, there's like someone might pass away. Like there's lots of stuff that that life is going to throw. And I the whole book is about decisions that have high emotional stakes and high financial stakes. And by high emotional stakes, I don't mean like, should we order a pizza tonight? That's not going to change your life, right? It's going to change your night, but it's not going to change your life. But deciding whether or not you're going to do fertility treatment. This is changing your life. This, if you quit your job on Tuesday, your life looks different on Wednesday. Like the stakes are high emotionally and financially at the same time. And so we can't escape those kinds of things that happen in life. So the book is really helping if you have the regret of the past, squaring that. And then if you prepare yourself for the future going forward, if you're feeling overwhelmed by choices, if you are worried about you know, those kinds of high stakes situations in your life. 
when that happens to you so that you make sure that you make those really good, solid choices that no matter how it plays out, you will look back and say, I don't like the outcome, but I made the best decision I possibly could. And I wouldn't have done it any other way, even if you don't like the outcome. I love that. I think that that just builds financial confidence, financial wellness, and doesn't make Mm -hmm. you just regret all the time, all the decisions, but rather learn from them. Before I let you go, Shannon, is there a a hack or a tip that you could offer next time we're faced with a big decision about our money? uh, Maybe you get a job offer in Europe, or you're thinking about buying a bigger house, or Mm -hmm. like you said, you're thinking about adding to your family. So, you know, a baby is expensive. So what what are some of the, the ways that we can make those decisions without having regrets later about how we made it? I mean, besides picking up this book? Uh, no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> um, I think, so some of the big tips from the book for those exact type of situations is, number one, the whole beginning of the book makes sure that you're not making those panic-based or like impulsive choices. So how do you know if you are and what do you do if, you, if you're in panic mode? Like even think about the, um, like the pandemic, for example, how many people just upped and moved and now regret it. Mm-hmm. And then there are some people who upped and moved and were like, that was the best. So, but they they did the same thing, but some people did it for the wrong reason. So really making sure that you're not in panic mode while you're making choices and some really good ideas on how to, how to work around that. And second of all, making sure that you're using the best information and you're making decisions based on your own deciding values, not what you hear on the radio, not what you read in the paper, what you hear from your family, like you, like what is it, what value of yours are you going to hang your hat on for this decision so that when you look back, you're like, yeah, I know why I did it that way. I did the right thing, like even though it didn't work out. And then I think the other thing is kind of embracing uncertainty. And I think this is like the hardest part is we want to have control when like think about someone who's separating or divorcing they don't know if they can afford the, the matrimonial home. They don't know what they're going to get in support. They don't know what they're going to have to pay, if they're going to get something. They don't know what any of that looks like, but yet you're forced to like make choices. Mm-hmm. And that's so wild to think about, like, how do I make choices? And I don't even know what next year is going to look like. And so there's a lot of tips in the book too, about how to like create control where there isn't control and, and like, um, like try to work it, work through uncertainty in like a positive way so that you can like embrace the outcome. Shannon, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on the program for breaking down what we should be thinking about when we're faced with those big financial, emotional decisions. Uh, I really, really uh, encourage everybody listening to go out and buy Shannon's book. It's called No Regret Decisions, Making Difficult Decisions in Difficult Times. You can find it in bookstores everywhere across Canada and online right to your door. You can get it. You're not going to regret making this financial decision, (laughs) buying this book. Uh, Thank you so much, Shannon, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. That's Shannon Lee Simmons. She's a certified financial planner, a chartered investment manager, media personality, personal finance expert, and the founder of the new school of finance. And her new book, called No Regret Decisions, Making Difficult Decisions in Difficult Times is available everywhere. I'm Rubina Ahmed Haq. This is For What It's Worth. We'll be back after this break. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Haq. The best things in life are free. Well, that brings us to the end of our show, and it has been a fantastic show. Thank you so much for everyone who tuned in 
to for what it's worth. I wanted to give you some key takeaways from some of the conversations that we've had over the last hour. Sue Spicer, the home economist, really did drill home that we don't always have to spend money to have fun. For many of us across Canada, we're celebrating Family Day weekend. And that doesn't mean you have to break the bank. It just means you have to find creative ways to get outside and spend time together with your family. These are not things that we haven't heard before, but it's good to remind ourselves that it's not the money that we spend, it's the time that we spend together. And also for next time, budget for that family fun. So look out for those deals on movies and activities and other things that you want to do with your family. And when they have a great deal, buy it and bank it. And so, for example, I mentioned how we had bought some movie tickets over uh, the holidays because they were having this great deal, buy one, get one. And so we're going to use them now. So I've I bought them two months ago. We'll use them now. And it was like a deal that was running during the Christmas holidays. So I decided, why not? I'll buy one of those, bank it, put it into my my wallet on my phone, and now I can go and scan that and use it. And the other thing is when you pay for something in the past, it doesn't pinch as much when you use it today because you've already sort of paid that bill off. Um, We also talked to Shannon Lee Simmons. She is the author of a new book called No Regret Decisions and really talked to her about how we can be better when it comes to the decisions we make about our money and how we can make them without regretting them in the future. Her number one tip is to take emotion out of your money decisions. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling like that this is a decision that's really going to, uh, you don't know how to make it, sit on it for a while. Let it marinate. You don't have to decide how much you're going to borrow for your home at this moment. You don't have to decide how much of it, what kind of interest rate you're going to take, variable or fixed. All of these things, if you take some time and just let it marinate, as I often say, Uh, you're going to come up with the best uh, solution that's going to serve you better forever. And the other thing is, she said, really focus on the big money decisions. So the mortgage, the car, the uh, furniture you buy for your home, but don't sweat the small stuff. So what if you bought too many lattes last week? So what if, you know, you had one drink more than you wanted to last night and the bill was more than you expected it to be? Don't worry about any of that. Those are small money decisions that don't really matter unless you're doing it all the time. It's really the big stuff she wants us to focus on, the big stuff that can actually really hurt your budget. I wanted to leave you with a really clever way that I have found that is going viral on TikTok that people are doing to save money. It's called the envelope challenge. What you do is you get 100 envelopes, you write one to 100 on each of them, You put them into a big bowl. Every day you take out an envelope and whatever number you draw, you have to save that much money. So if you draw 10, you save $10. If you draw 45, you save $45. And after 100 days, you will have saved $5,050. That's it. More than $5,000 in 100 days. Now, I don't think this is sustainable forever. I don't think you just do the 100-day challenge over and over again because not everybody's got that kind of cash lying around. But what it does is that it really flexes that savings muscle. It really gets you into the habit of saving money consistently. And it also shows you that if you do it consistently, that it can actually amount to quite a big sum. So I love this challenge. I think it's a bit gimmicky, but if it gets people into the mode of savings, gets them into the mood to save more, and then maybe making some better decisions about 
having some money come straight off their paycheck every couple of weeks, saving more money in their RSP or their TFSA, really gets them thinking about other ways that they can save money on a consistent basis. I think it's great. So do this 100-day challenge. If you feel that you don't know how to save, you will prove to yourself that you can, and you'll have $5,050 to show for it. It's called the 100 Envelope Challenge. You can Google it and find it for yourself, but essentially the way that I described it is the way that it is. We have come to the end of our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you got out of it uh, something that's going to save you some money. You're going to walk away this week. You're going to do something that's going to put some money in your pocket. That is the whole point of For What It's Worth, that we give you tools that you can use immediately. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our technical producer, Bilal Masri. And we will be back next week with a brand new show, same time, same channel, on For What It's Worth with more tips on how you can save money and spend money better. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth.